reading that entirety of the passage. Last week we left off with Acts 12, 12, and we saw that the disciples, that Peter was not fearing because he was trusting in the Lord, and we saw the mighty hand, the mighty power of God at work in the church, and today we're going to see how Paul and Barnabas are confidently carrying the gospel, confident in the call that God has for them. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, verse 25. This is God's holy, inspired, and errant word. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us accounts like this that, that show us that you are the one who calls your people. Thank you, God, for calling not only Paul and Barnabas, but for calling us by your Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father, that we can be confident in your call confident in you. Lord, as we go forward, as we see this account, Lord, may it inspire us to have faith in you, the one who calls. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just for a moment, I want to share with you a, a clip, a short clip from a bold advance. It's called uh, A Bold Advance from Dispatches from the Front by a guy named Tim Kazee and Frontline Ministries.
I want to share that video clip with you because I want you to see that there's a continuity to the gospel story. There's a continuity to the story of God's transforming grace and the power of the gospel to transform lives. You see, we began by reading this true story of Paul and Barnabas as they went to, at that time, which was a far-reaching place. This was the first time the gospel had gone outside of the area of Syria and Judea. This is the first time the gospel had gone out into what was a, a Roman stronghold. It was the island of Cyprus was, was ruled by the Roman Empire and by a Roman preconsul. In the face, though, of the head of the island's government, opposition of the devil, though, they were confident. They were confident in God's word. They were confident in the Holy Spirit's call as they carried God's word out. And people were set free from spiritual darkness and blindness and brought into light. And I want us to see, though, that this is not something that's just reserved for the first century. It's something that that God's continuing to do today. God is continuing to to manifest his power in his presence. That clip was from a series called Dispatches from the Front. A guy named Tim Kazee is actually a a local. He visits difficult areas all around the world where the word of God's being proclaimed powerfully and the gates of hell are being shaken. I love the quote that was in the video. It says, it's a story of far-reaching grace. And the gospel's power to shake hell's gates. That's what we're witnessing. That's what we witnessed in the story of Paul and Barnabas. That's what we're witnessing today, not just in Kosovo and Albania and in Montenegro, but we're witnessing that same power, that same story of far-reaching grace in the gospel's power that's shaking hell's gates around the world today still and in your neighborhood and in your school in your workplace, in our communities. There's a continuity between what Paul and Barnabas proclaimed and what Tim Kazee and others and what we are proclaiming. We can forget, I think, how life-changing, how powerful the gospel is to break down barriers, to enlighten darkened minds. We can forget how powerful the gospel is to transform, how, how God calls us by his grace to give us the most powerful message ever to people. We can forget that the gospel is powerful to go to hard-to-reach places, both physically and spiritually, no matter where that is. And sometimes you can think, well, that's just out there. That was just back then. That was just in the time of Saul and Barnabas. Hasn't the gospel gone everywhere? Isn't Greenville a churched area? Isn't, hasn't everybody in Greenville heard the good news of the gospel? And I would say no. An external form of the gospel may be in many times. But yet the area is still in need. People are still darkened. People are still enslaved to sin. We can forget that we've been called to go with this same powerful gospel. We can become complacent, self-reliant at times. But like the early church, they, in the face of opposition, in the face of hard-to-reach places, what did they do? They prayed. They worshiped God. They looked to God who was all-powerful. They looked to God who was able. I love that there's a continuity also between last week's message and this week. See, when you see the power of God at work, it gives you faith for God to continue to be at work. 
And so the church, the early church, they were worshiping God. They were gathered together, it says, worshiping God. And they were fasting. That that implies they were praying as well. And so as a church, we have an opportunity to fervently seek God in prayer, to, to fast, to let us be obedient to God, to give for the gospel, to go for the gospel. And remember the power of God and the message that we've been given. As we focus on the scripture this morning, I think there's a main idea, a main point that God would have for our church. This is not just the main idea from the passage only. It's a main idea that also applies to us today and on our church specifically. And it's that confidence in the Holy Spirit's call. It frees us from self-confidence or self-reliance or self-focus to carry out God's powerful word or maybe a little shorter for note-taking. It's confidence in the Holy Spirit's call frees us to carry out God's powerful word. Confidence in God's powerful call frees us to carry out God's powerful word. There's there's some principles, I think, as well that we can see from this text this morning that I believe the Holy Spirit would have for us. There's three different principles here in the account that Luke has given to us. We can see in the passage here that Paul and Barnabas, they were called by the Holy Spirit and And for us today, you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we too are called by the Holy Spirit, even though our calling looks different. So the first principle we're going to look at from the passage is that they were called by the Holy Spirit. The first principle that we need to apply to ourselves is called by the Holy Spirit. If you have placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, if you trusted in him, then he's not left you alone. He's given you a calling. He's given you a calling that's not just called you to do something by yourself, but he's given you a calling that he's empowering by the Holy Spirit, just like he has called Paul and Barnabas in this story. Look down in verse 2. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who set them aside. The Holy Spirit is the one who called them. That's where the account begins. But there's also something very important that enabled them to be able to hear the call of the Holy Spirit. Right before the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, look down your Bible. Where did it begin? Where did it begin in verse 2? It's not on the screen. You have to look in your Bibles right now. Worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Why is that important? Why does does Luke mention that detail here for us? Well, I think it's because Luke wants us to see that they heard the Holy Spirit speaking. They heard the Holy Spirit guiding. They heard the Holy Spirit leading as their hearts were prepared and, and their minds were attuned to hear by worshiping God. That's why we have worship in in song on Sunday mornings. Now, for us, we believe that our time of singing is not the only time of worship. This, too, is a time when we're worshiping God. In fact, all of life is meant to be worship before God, but this is uniquely a time when we gather together as a church, not only to sing to God, to attune our hearts and our minds to the great truths of God, to worship Him, to get our focus off of ourselves and onto Him, but then to receive from God, to hear from God. And to prepare ourselves to hear God's word as he speaks to us from the word. And so Luke wants us to see that they heard the Holy Spirit speaking as they began by worshiping God and listening to his voice in prayer. 
and seeking to be sensitive to God through fasting as well. They are prepared to hear the Holy Spirit speaking through worship and prayer and fasting. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, set apart from me, Saul and Barnabas. We don't know if that was an audible voice, or they don't think so because they didn't say they heard an audible voice. I don't know if, if the Holy Spirit just spoke to those five leaders that Luke mentions, or if he spoke to everyone all at the same time so dramatically, but we do know that the church was in unity, and they all were listening for it, and they heard the Holy Spirit speaking. We do know they're worshiping God, they were fasting so that they could hear him, because that's the purpose really of fasting. In, in the Old Testament, the fasting was not because God somehow would be pleased or impressed with him for giving something up. The same is true in the New Testament. It's not so that God's going to be impressed when we say, you know what, I'm fasting a meal today. It's not for us to brag about. It's not for us to go telling people about it. It's for us to say, I'm giving something up to God so that I can hear from him, so I can focus on him instead of focusing on food or focusing on something else that I want. And so the people here are focusing on hearing from God. And I think that's something that we too need to do. We need to hear from God and we need to focus on hearing from God. Set our attention, our gaze on God. So the church in Antioch, they're gathered, they're worshiping, they're collectively fasting. I think that maybe that's a practice I'd like to try as a church sometime soon. Maybe take a, take a Sunday and say, hey, next Sunday morning, I'm not, not necessarily saying this next Sunday, but some Sunday morning, let's, let's all say, you know what, we're not going to eat this morning. We're all going to come to church and we're going to focus on God and we're going to pray and we're going to seek to hear from God because as a church we need to be re-inspired with a love for Jesus. It's a good chance if you'd like to pray. There's a group of people, Adam Bell, I think Dan Payne, some others, they're, they're gathered every Sunday morning to pray before the service. And I encourage you, if you would like to gather together to tune your heart and your mind to God, to, to be able to hear from Him, to worship Him so you can hear the Holy Spirit, I think they meet back in uh, the Cross Kids class. Well, back to your passage. Back in Acts 11.30, when we last encountered Barnabas and Saul, if you look down in your Bibles, way back in Acts 11.30, we last encountered Barnabas and Saul, and they were bringing this gift of financial relief to the elders in the church in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, Luke kind of puts you on pause, and he says, Barnabas and Saul, they sent them to bring relief to the elders in Jerusalem, and then pause, and then he tells you this story about how Herod Agrippa he captures James and he kills him by the sword. He arrests Peter because he sees that it pleased the Jews. And he, you think that he's in control. It looks like he's in control. And yet God demonstrates that no, God's really in control. He sends an angel. He releases Peter from prison. And then he kills Agrippa for his pride. And he shows that no, God's word stands. It's not man's word that stands. God's word is what stands. And then apparently, Paul and Barnabas were probably there. They stayed for a little while. And now, when we come down to verse 25 of chapter 12, it says, now they're returning. Now they're returning from their service in Jerusalem. And they're bringing with them John Mark. And we can learn from Colossians that this, this, this Mark was a young cousin of Barnabas. He was likely the young disciple in the book of Mark, who ended up writing the book of Mark later. He was likely the young disciple who, who ran away and his clothes kind of got ripped off of him when Jesus was being betrayed. He's this 
assistant to Paul and Barnabas, and they bring him along. And then it's just remarkable to see that although later Mark is timid again, and he fails in a missionary journey and actually causes the separation of Paul and Barnabas. We're going to hear about that in a few weeks. But it's so good to see God's redemptive power in Mark, too, that this Mark came back and Paul, towards the end of his life, said, bring Mark with you. He's useful to me. We can find that in Timothy. He says, bring Mark back with me. With you. He's, he's useful to my ministry. And then not only that, Mark ends up writing one of the four Gospels. Well, Luke... Little little uh, little sidetrack there for a moment, but Luke's telling us about the prophets and the teachers in the church, and he lists them for us, and we can see that now the church in Antioch it was a mature church. Why does he list those those five people, those five prophets and teachers? He lists them so that we can see that the church is now mature. They have they have pastors, they have prophets, they have teachers in the church, and some of these prophets and teachers, interestingly enough, they had Greek names and. It shows that God gives gifts to the church without any kind of distinction based on ethnicity. And, and then Luke moves quickly to tell us the church in Antioch, it was a worshiping church. So he, he's, he's setting up the stage for us and saying, Paul and Barnabas, they've come back. The church is mature and it's a worshiping church. And I think that's because it's one of the marks of a mature church. And so it was a worshiping church. And Paul says that they were worshiping and they were fasting. And that, that fasting was so they could better seek the Lord and, and pray for them to be work in them and through them, a time of hearing from God. And so it was during this time of worshiping that the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And I want you to see that this, this call is not a man-directed call. It's a spirit-directed call. This is the spirit calling his people to work. It's a call to set apart his people to, to proclaim God's word. And we don't know how exactly that this word was confirmed, but we know that the church tells us, look down in your Bibles in verse 3, it says that they responded by fasting and praying, and then they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, the church wasn't just hearing the call of the Spirit. They were listening to the Spirit. They were listening for the Spirit. They listened to the Spirit. And they responded to the Spirit's call. They responded to the Spirit's call. They laid their hands on them. They sent them off. They gave up time and and, and food to, to, to fast, to seek God's will. What does this look like, God, that you're saying, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas? And then they took that message that set apart Paul and Barnabas for the call. They took that and they translated it to, we're going to send them out. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to send them out. And we know that the Holy Spirit, though, he didn't just speak to them. He continues to speak to his church today. And we can be confident in the call of the Holy Spirit. Just like Saul and Barnabas were confident in the call of the Holy Spirit, we can be confident that what we have been called to is not something we've made up on our own. Our mission to continually seek to be disciples, to identify with him, to be a learner of Christ, to be a follower of Christ, to, to grow, to continually seek to grow as disciples, to continually make disciples, that's not a call that we've made up. That's a call of the Spirit of God to, to proclaim the Word. And we can be confident in His calling. We're not sure how the Holy Spirit spoke to them, but it is clear 
that he spoke and the church responded and he's still speaking today and you might ask well how does the Holy Spirit speak to us we've never corporately heard the Holy Spirit says set apart for me so and so and send them away well maybe we have actually it just was in a different way a few years back we got to to send off Jim Bread, and we believe the Holy Spirit was speaking saying set him apart send him out and for a time he was planting a church in in Melbourne, Florida, and that, although he's, he's now gone to Miami, that, that work continues today, and God is at work, proclaiming his word. But today, he primarily speaks to us. How does God speak to us today? He primarily speaks to us through his, his holy, inerrant, inspired word. That's the primary way that God speaks to us. Now, if you have been reading God's word, and you have lately been feeling like, his word's dry to me, I'm not getting anything out of it, I'd encourage you to do what they did. Go back and worship Start singing to God, worship God, fast, pray. God, I need to hear your word. I need to hear you, Holy Spirit, speaking through your word. And so as we seek God and his word, we can be confident that he's going to affirm it. The Holy Spirit's gonna apply the word to us and he's gonna bring conviction and direction and help us see how the principle of his, of his word applied to our lives. And so perhaps a primary way for us to hear the Holy Spirit today is for you to prayerfully read your Bible, for me to prayerfully read my Bible. I know that there's been many times I've been reading a Bible verse and God will either bring conviction or he'll, he'll say, you know what, you need to go and share this with so-and-so to encourage them. Or, you know what, I want you to go and serve this person. They're down. And so you pick up the phone, you give them a call and you say, hey, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. And they're like, oh my goodness. I, I was just crying out to God and saying, God, does anybody care? Had those kinds of things happen all the time as you seek God in His Word, as you're listening for this Holy Spirit, we believe that He's going to continue to call to His people. He's going to continue to call His people to proclaim His Word. And you can be confident in that call. Another way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is prophetically, not only through His Word as it's preached and He applies it to us. I, I believe that that's why we do preaching here on Sunday mornings. We believe that God speaks afresh, not that I'm a prophet in the Old Testament sense, but that God speaks prophetically through His Word. That God's word is living and active and he continues to speak today. And we can be confident when he speaks to us through his word, we can be confident in his call. We can be confident in what he calls us to do. Not only does the Holy Spirit speak to us through the word and through preaching of the word, but he also speaks to us through the New Testament gift of prophecy as God reveals prophetically something to us in a fresh way today. Now, if it's true the Holy Spirit, it's always going to be in line with God's Word. It's always going to be in agreement with God's Word. It's never going to contradict God's Word. It's never going to add anything new in the sense of ultimate revelation to God's Word. But we believe that the Holy Spirit does continue to still speak today. And so the question for us is not whether He is speaking. The question is, do we still expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us today? Do we still expect the Holy Spirit, to speak to us today like he spoke to Saul and Barnabas, like he speaks to so many Christians around the world, do you personally still expect to hear the Holy Spirit speaking? Because he is. Not only is the Holy Spirit called the comforter, the helper, he's called the counselor. Why do you think God calls the Holy Spirit the counselor? It's because the Holy Spirit's been given to us to counsel us, to continue to speak God's counsel to our lives. And we can be confident as, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us and it's in agreement with God's word. We can stand on God's word and, and be confident in his call. Regardless 
of how he speaks, we can be confident we hear the Holy Spirit's call to us through his word. And it's, it's clear in God's word that the Holy Spirit through Jesus has, has called us. What has he called us to do primarily? What's the testimony of scripture? What is the Holy Spirit's call to you and to me? What was the Holy Spirit's call to Saul and Barnabas? It was to proclaim his word. That's the primary thing that he called Saul and Barnabas to do because the first thing they did when they sailed there, when they got to Cyprus, was they proclaimed the word of God. They saw that their, their primary calling in all of life was to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. And that's the primary calling that the Holy Spirit has given to you and me. And we can be confident as we step out in faith that God has called us to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be bashful or ashamed or tentative or worried or nervous because he's called you and me. And the second principle we see is that he's called us to carry God's word called to carry God's word. What did Saul and Barnabas do? I'm sure they they brought relief of some form. We see earlier that in chapter 11, they brought financial relief to the brothers to encourage them. But what we see here, their primary calling is to carry God's word. Why? Because it's God's word that transforms people. It's God's word that makes alive. It's God's word that opens up blind eyes. It's God's word that pierces the darkness, that cuts to the vision of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And so this church, it was obedient to the command of the Spirit. And they sent out Paul and Barnabas in their place. It must have been a huge loss for that church. I cannot imagine if the Apostle Paul was our pastor here that we'd be thinking, oh yeah, let's, let's go send him out. Although I, I, I think we should want to do that. I think I'd, there'd be something in me that would say, no, stay. We need you here. And yet the church wasn't selfish. They weren't holding on to their best. This call wasn't specific. It was somewhat vague. It required faith on the part of the church as well as that of Barnabas and Paul. The church had grown in large part, think about it, as a result of the direct ministry of Barnabas, of the direct ministry of Saul. As Barnabas, the church was growing, he realized, I can't do this on my own. So he goes and he goes to Tarsus and he brings back Saul and they begin teaching the church and they raise up leaders and now we can see this is a healthy church. But the church didn't seek to hold on to them. They didn't try to keep Barnabas and Saul. They sent them out in obedience to the Holy Spirit. They were obedient to the calling of the Holy Spirit. And they saw that they too were called to carry out God's word. Why did the church have faith to send out Paul and Barnabas? Because the church knew that it was not just Paul and Barnabas' call, but it was their call to proclaim the word. And they were, they were commissioning, they were laying hands on Paul and Barnabas to send them out to proclaim the word, and they were a part of that as that was happening. And that's it's a neat thing for us to think about as we help send people out. We sent Seda Sakaguchi to Tokyo, Japan, and we're helping fund that. And we can be confident that God's word is being proclaimed there. We get an opportunity to partner together as Braden Greer will be planning a church in the next nine months in the northeast of Columbia, South Carolina, and we can be a part of God proclaiming his word there. But we're also called to proclaim to carry out God's word here. That's why we have a local church. That's the primary way that God spreads and proclaims his word. And he spread the word through the church in Antioch and through Saul and through Barnabas. And it was a call to proclaim God's word to those in darkness. People on the island of Cyprus 
and the Roman Empire in Saul's day, they desperately needed to hear God's word, but they desperately thought they didn't need it. They were a very advanced empire. They were affluent. They were intellectuals. The people on the island of Cyprus, it was kind of like the modern day Hawaii. This was a, uh, an area that was that was thought to be a perfect place in the Mediterranean to live because the temperature was wonderful. They had plenty of olive trees. They exported copper and, and wood. This was a great place to live. They had beaches all around. This was the life. They did not think they needed God. They thought they had everything so great. They thought they knew everything. In fact, actually, the, the island of Cyprus was so peaceful at the time as far as the world goes, that they didn't even need a Roman garrison there. They were ruled by proconsul as an extension of the Roman government. I think there's a lot of parallels for us today. People don't think they need Jesus today either. But we're called to carry out God's word. People can think that, you know what, in the age of enlightenment and science, we've moved beyond faith and we can have facts. And yet, be darkened in those facts. How many of us were once darkened in the futility of our own minds, thinking that we knew better, thinking that we could know God on our own, thinking that we could be good enough on our own, and yet the power of the good news of Jesus Christ broke into our lives and enlightened us? Well, we have the same call now to go to the world around us, to go to your workplace, to people who don't think they need God, who are very comfortable. Maybe they're affluent. Maybe they're intellectual. Go to people in your school, in your neighborhood. Go to the people maybe as well who are aware because they went to both of those kinds. People are still in darkness today and they still need to hear God's word and we still need to carry it to them. Just like Saul and Barnabas had a call to carry God's word, we've been given that same call. It wasn't just the Limus and the people of Cyprus and Sergius Paulus who were in the dark. It isn't just the people in Kosovo or Albania or Montenegro who were in the dark. It's your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates who are in the dark, and we need to see that. We need to be confident in the call of the Holy Spirit to go to them, and then we can be confident because he's, he's, we're carrying his word. He's called us to carry his word. We're not carrying our own word. We're carrying his word. So you can be confident to go, that his word's going to have power. Like Paul and Barnabas, they encountered opposition. The first thing they encountered, they go across the island. They're preaching everywhere. They go to the proconsul, who's the head of the government of that island. And they, they go to him and because he's asked to hear the word. That's really remarkable. Because he was an intelligent man. They probably say he was an intelligent man because he's asking to hear God's word. But then they immediately face opposition as soon as they get there. What do they face? They face um, his, his, probably his counselor or his, his sorcerer. Often the courts would have a counselor who was a magician or a sorcerer or, or a wise man, a magus, a, a magician in that sense. A person who consulted with evil, with demonic spirits. And they're encountering, that's the first thing they encounter, is they encounter Opposition. As soon as they're proclaiming God's word to people who want to hear the truth. And you'd be guaranteed that today we're still going to encounter opposition as we carry out God's word. We, we're going to encounter opposition. The Bible never says that become a Christian, things will get easy. 
is actually the reverse. You'll have freedom. You have hope of life everlasting. All your sins forgiven. God's wrath no longer against you. You have been forgiven and right standing with God. Never to fear again because you trust in Jesus. But you will face opposition. Jesus said in this world you'll have many troubles. But he says fear not. I've overcome the world. They faced opposition as soon as they went to proclaim the message to the proconsul. Why is that? You see, I think it's because the devil wants to oppose the word of the gospel. The devil opposes people coming out of the dark. He's called the father of lies, and, and he positions people. We don't, we don't wrestle against people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so Elimus really is just an instrument of the devil in this passage. And the deceiver is trying to keep Sergius Paulus blind. The devil wants to keep people blind so they don't see the truth of, his, of God's word. The devil wants people to stay in the dark so they won't be freed from bondage and slavery. So their eyes won't be opened. And he sends all kinds of opposition against God's word. Look down at verses 6 through 8 in your Bibles. It says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, and now that, that word is, is Magi or Magus, magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear God's word. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. They faced opposition immediately. Paul and Barnabas, they were traveling all throughout Cyprus. This, it was a senatorial province of Rome, and it was, it was governed by the Sergius Paulus who they were going to see. And they, they just traveled all throughout. They proclaimed God's word from synagogue all across the island of Paphos. I'm sorry, all, all through the city of Paphos. And, and Paphos was a city that was, was dedicated to a goddess uh, Paphia, the equivalent of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. It was the capital of the island of the time. So they, when they get to the city of Paphos in the southwest of the island, and they go and they talk to Sergius Paulus, they encounter this false prophet. And he was ironically named. He was called, I don't know if he gave himself that name or if somebody else gave him that name or if his dad's name was Yeshua, but he was called Bar-Jesus, which means or son of Yeshua or son of Jesus. Now, let me be clear, he was not a son of Jesus. And there's some irony in the name. I think that's why Luke mentions it for us. Because he wants to see what happens when this bar Jesus encounters the, the real word of Jesus. And so Luke tells us this bar Jesus was with a proconsul for some reason. This is probably an advisor, a court astrologer. He was purported to be wise. He was a magus. That's what Elimus means, wise or magus. He was a man of intelligence, though, Sergius Paulus was, and he must have heard about Saul and Barnabas, and he wants to hear, what are they talking about that all the people are responding to? So he wants to hear for himself this word. But Elimus, the magician, he opposes Paul and Barnabas, and he seeks to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And I think it's something that the devil continues to do. When you are seeking to obey the Holy Spirit's call, when you're confidently stepping out in faith, obeying the call of the Holy Spirit to carry God's word to people who are in the dark, 
I think you're going to face opposition. The devil's going to send opposition your way. But there's something else that I think God wants you and I to see from these verses. And there's a principle I think that he wants all believers everywhere to see. And it's that we can be confident in the Holy Spirit's call. We can be confident in the Holy Spirit's call. It may have been that Limus, he was opposing Barnabas and Saul because he feared for his own position. Maybe he was afraid if Sergius Paulus believed, then he would no longer be employed. Whatever reason, though, when the proconsul says, heard the word of God, this, this magician, he seeks to dissuade him and do whatever he can to turn him away from seeing the truth about Jesus, to turn him away from the faith. And isn't how the devil assaults people today, to turn people away from the faith? He seeks to actually assault us by turning us away from the faith. It says the devil roams about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he does that by seeking to attack your faith. And so he's in this court, this proconsul's court. He's an advisor. And he poses a real danger to the effectiveness of the gospel message. Because Sergius Paulus may have listened to Elimus instead of to Paul and Barnabas. But the Holy Spirit had not only called Paul and Barnabas, he not only sent them out to carry God's word, he was with them and he filled them to carry out this work of ministry that he called him to. The Holy Spirit is always with the people of God. The Holy Spirit is always with those who place their faith in God. He is always dwelling in and with. And so we can be confident, not only has he called us and he's given us the word, so we can be confident in his call, we can be confident in the commission, we can be confident in the message we've been given, we can be confident though that he is in us as well and he'll be with us. And so the Holy Spirit was with them and filled them to carry out this work of ministry. And we might face very different kind of opposition. You might face difficulties. You might face temptations. You might face hardships or ridicule. You might face open spiritual warfare like this. But you can be certain that whatever you face opposition, no matter what kind of opposition we face, no matter what kind of opposition, we're going to see that all throughout the book of Acts, whatever, whatever kind of opposition the messengers of God faced, whatever kind of opposition the disciples of Jesus Christ faced, there was no opposition that could withstand the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can be certain that as we face opposition in carrying out the name of Jesus and this message of hope to this blind and helpless world around us, we can be certain the Holy Spirit will be leading us, will be with us, he'll guide us, he'll fill us. But just like Paul was filled with the Spirit, we too can and must be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's calling you and me to to go. He's, He's giving us his word so we can be confident in it. And then we can be confident that he's giving us himself. But we need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that we can engage in spiritual warfare and confront darkness with light and falsehood with truth. And that's the primary way that, that we see that spiritual warfare is conducted here. is that he brings the truth of God's word. Now, now Paul also was speaking as an apostle of Jesus. He also brings judgment as an apostle. Something that we're not called to do in the same way. But he confronts him with the truth. And Paul, for some reason, is not timid. This is really Paul's first major confrontation that we've seen as a, as a believer outside of Jerusalem. 
He's encountering this very important proconsul, this leader of the government. Paul's not lacking faith. He's not timid. He's not fearful. And then Paul encounters this spiritual opposition, and yet he still continues to be bold. Why is that? It's because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in God. There's a movie a few years back called Hook. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie before or not. It's, a, it's an old movie with, with uh, Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. And in the movie Hook, there's a bunch of great characters, and it's all about how Hook is trying to oppose Peter Pan. But there's this supporting character that I really enjoyed in the movie. His name was Smee. You remember Smee? I don't really know how to say his name properly, but just kind of like, Smee! But there's something funny about Smee. He was always afraid. He was always kind of timid. He was this very timid character. He was, he was very tentative. And Smee, whenever Captain Hook, he would come up to him and talk to him, he would kind of approach him tentatively. He was a little scared of Captain Hook this, because Captain Hook was a bad guy. And Smee knew that Captain Hook was a bad guy, so he was timid and he was fearful and he, he was always a little bit cautious. And he was kind of cowering and kind of always afraid he was going to get hit or something. Smee was the opposite of confidence. Smee was concerned with what might happen to him. He was, he was fearful. He was timid. He wasn't confident. He was always afraid. And, and it's fun to kind of laugh at that. But sometimes we can behave like that. As if this, this Captain Hook is really powerful. We can sometimes act as if the opposition that we face, is, even if the devil is is more powerful than God. We can forget, although the devil's more powerful than us, we can forget that there is one who makes the devil look like Hook. We can forget that we have a far greater master than, than, than him. We can forget that the devil is not our master, really. That our master is God, the creator of heaven and earth. We have no need to cower or fear when we encounter opposition or hooks or alimuses or whatever evil we might face. We don't need to cower in fear. Christ has come to set us free from fear. I love this song that we sang this morning. Now why this fear and unbelief? Has not Jesus come to set us free to rescue us with his great love? Isn't he greater? Hasn't he died to set us free from trusting in ourselves? Hasn't he died to set us free from fear of condemnation? Hasn't he died to set us free from fear of God's wrath? Christ has rescued us from being consumed with the self-focus and he's given us the Holy Spirit of God, so we don't have to be timid and fearful. He's given us, think about the Holy Spirit who filled Paul and Barnabas and who filled Paul to be able to confront Elimus. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And that's the same Holy Spirit that's promised to you and I that Jesus promised to give to us. He promised to give us the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus right from the dead that now dwells within us. Why this fear and unbelief? The Holy Spirit empowered and filled Paul. And so empowered by the Holy Spirit, Paul engages with this deceiver and his false prophet, Elimus. Look, 
Look down your Bibles in verses 9 to 11, please. It says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, just as a note there, this, this shift now in the rest of Acts, Saul is now forever called Paul. He's, he's a changed man. He's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and his name is changed. It says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And Paul here, he is speaking as a true prophet. That's what Luke's trying to show us. The Holy Spirit speaks through people and gives true prophecy, and it counters the false prophet, Elimus. There's a reason why Luke referred to him as the false prophet. He's trying to contrast him with the real prophet of God. And he demonstrates the real power of God for salvation. And, and notice that Paul doesn't call Elimus by the name Bar-Jesus or son of Jesus. He calls him what? Son of the devil. There's some real irony happening here as Luke is writing. You're not Bar-Jesus, he says. You're son of the devil. So he calls Elimus the son of the devil and reveals his true intentions. And I believe as the Holy Spirit fills you and as you carry out his word, he's going to give you discernment and ability to see what you're really facing is, is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And he's going to give you ability to discern and to speak to, to people where they're at. Elimus here, he says he's an enemy of all righteousness. He's full of deceit and villainy. He's twisting the ways of the Lord, deceiving the proconsul. And so Paul pronounces God's judgment on him and then tells him he'll be temporarily blind for a while. And then he immediately is. So this Elimus, this seer, Luke's, Luke's showing us some things here. This, this supposed seer, this sorcerer, this seer is now blind. The one who purported to be wise is now darkened. But interestingly enough, in, in the midst of judgment, God shows him some mercy, doesn't he? Like God showed Paul mercy. He says he's only temporarily blind. Now, we don't know if later on he came to Christ or not, but I would wonder if, if Paul was thinking, you know, I, I wonder after he's been blind for a while if he's going to see his need for God like I saw my need for God. This irony, though, it's thick, where Elimus, he had sought to lead others into darkness now, He's in darkness needing others to lead him around. This false prophet was real to not have any idea about where to go. That's the power of God that we can be confident in. That's the Holy Spirit's power that we can be confident in. As we go, as we are called, as we carry his word, we can be confident in the Holy Spirit. Paul's message, this, this word that God revealed instead, the, the word of God enlightened, it brought truth. And now Paul, instead of being timid, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was confident in the Holy Spirit's call. And I want to notice some things here that I think really apply to us. He was free from fear. He was free from fear. How can we be confident in the call? We can be free from fear. Last week we saw that. We can be, we can be free from fear because of the great power of God. Paul knew he was facing opposition that was not as powerful as God. 
He knew that he had the Holy Spirit. You too are facing opposition, no matter what that opposition might be in your life, whether it's spiritual or physical, whatever that opposition is, whatever opposition you're facing, you have no need to fear. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, resident inside of you if you're trusting in Jesus. And you have no need to fear. You can be free from fear, knowing that God has called you. God will be with you and he's filled you. No one's greater than God. We can have no reason to fear because God's with us and His Holy Spirit's in us. And then one of the other ways we can be confident, not only can we be free from fear, but we can be free from self-confidence. We can be free from self-confidence. Now, why do I say that? Because often, if you're going to be trusting in your own confidence, your own ability, there will be a point when you realize, I don't have it. I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not articulate enough. Even Paul wasn't. Later on, he says, I didn't come to you with wise words or great convincing arguments. I came with the power of God. And and we can be freed from that self-reliance, which really is a trap. Paul wasn't trusting his own ability or experience. He he took a step of faith, and he confronted the Limus, trusting in the Holy Spirit, and we can be confident in God, not trusting in our own confidence but trusting in in the Holy Spirit, trusting in His call, trusting in His Word. And the third way that we can be free, that we can be confident in the Holy Spirit, I guess the fourth way, free from fear, free from self-confidence, the third way, free from self-reliance. Paul wasn't trusting his own ability or experience here. The fourth way is free from self-focus. Paul wasn't self-focused on what might happen to him He didn't think, oh no, Sergius Paulus can throw me in jail. He didn't think, oh no, the devil's going to overcome me here. He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't focused on the consequences for himself. He wasn't thinking, oh, what do I have to bring or what do I have to offer? He was confident in God and it freed him from a self-focus. He was confident in the Holy Spirit and it freed him from self-focus. So often, that's what holds us back, isn't it? This, this self-awareness, this self-focus. We're so worried about what people think about us, whether we'll be good enough or smart enough or whatever. And, and, and God came to set you free from a self-focus. You can be focused on Him in worship and fasting and prayer as we seek the Holy Spirit and seek to be filled. Say, God, I'm gonna step out in faith. I'm not gonna focus on myself. I'm gonna trust in you. And be confident in, in you, God, and your calling and your word. Confident in in the focus on you, Lord, not focusing on me. Then look down at verse 12. It tells us the result here. It says, Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He saw that the teaching of the Lord was powerful. That the teaching of the Lord transforms he saw that this, this teaching of the Lord, the gospel message, this good news about Jesus Christ, God's word, it was transformative and he was astonished. I wonder if we are still astonished. We've believed, but are we still astonished that, that God's word is powerful? Are you astonished at the teaching of God's word? Are you astonished that He continues to be at work and that his word is transformative. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? 
The proconsul, he, he, I'm sure he got the symbolism of what had happened. And I'm sure he was putting things together. And he saw that, no, that word doesn't enlighten, but God's word does. And Luke tells us he believed. What an amazing turn of events, isn't it? The power of the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms this ruler of this island nation into position. Now he's, he's in a key position in the Mediterranean. God's pretty strategic as well. We don't know exactly how the gospel is spread from there, but this island that's kind of like a, a paradise that people come to vacation, I'm sure they got blindsided by so many believers after this who told them the good news of Jesus and they all went back to their home areas where they were, where they were from, spreading the good news about Jesus. It was a strategic location. The power of the good news transformed Sergius Paulus and others in the island of Cyprus, but notice it's not Paul who converted him. That's something important for us to note. Our call is not to convert people. Our call by the Holy Spirit is to carry God's word, to be confident in God's word, to be confident in the Holy Spirit's calling of us, and to trust God with the results. And God will open blind eyes. He'll enable people to believe and he'll be faithful to his word. Amen? Let's pray. And as we pray, I'll go ahead and ask the band to come up. And Matt, if we could do the, the last two songs, again, that would be great. Father, thank you for this account that demonstrates to us your power. God, thanks for this account that demonstrates to us what you have called your people to. That you continue to call your people by your spirit. You continue to transform. You continue to be at work. God, thank you for this account of far-reaching grace and of the gospel's power to shake hell's gates. God, I pray that we would have a renewed confidence in you that we would look to you and worship, Lord, that we would seek your face, that we would focus on you, and that we would seek to be filled with your Spirit so that we too can go and carry this message of good news. Confident in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and we'll worship together.